0: Welcome to the Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Now, here's your host, Jacqueline James Friedman. Hello and welcome to Path to a Better Future. I am Jacqueline James Friedman and today's topic on TalkZone Radio is on borderline personality disorder. If you would like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open please call 888-463-6748 or 888-GO-FOR-IT. We are taking your calls on Talk Zone right now. My guest today is Alicia, and she's going to be discussing the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and how she has struggled from a young age to live a life that feels, quote, normal, unquote. Hi, Alicia, are you there? Yes,
1: hi, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. I'm very honored. Thank you. Um, Let's start, first of all, Alicia, with the essential features of borderline personality disorder. It is a marked... Thank you. It is a pattern of marked impulsivity and instability of affects, interpersonal relationships, and self-image. The pattern is present by early adulthood and occurs across a variety of situations and contexts. Because a personality disorder is a pervasive and enduring and an inflexible pattern of maladaptive inner experiences and pathological behavior, there is a general reluctance to diagnose personality disorders before adolescence or early adulthood. However, some emphasize that without early treatment, symptoms may in fact worsen. Does that make any sense to you, Alicia, with your experiences?
1: Most definitely. Um, all my life I felt that I was always trying to figure out who I was and where I fit in
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: and always had um, inconsistent relationships that were unstable.
0: Mm, okay. So how about we start with the early years with you and then sort of bring you up to present day and what those experiences have been like with this disorder, okay? Okay. So starting from childhood, what were your experiences?
1: Well, when I, um, growing up, I never really had a validating, nurturing home. Um, I always felt like I didn't belong in my own family. Um, I was never really included, even as a child, in activities with my mother, and my father was never present. He did not want the responsibility of having a child. Uh, My mother, was she had me at a young age and often would pass me along to family members when she felt the responsibility was too much. So growing up, I never had a role model for anything. Um, Mm. I didn't know how to behave with other people how to interact, how to be um, in society. Um, I was always the outcast at school because nobody interacted with me at home, so I had no idea what to offer other kids. I was pretty much a loner.
0: Were you an Um, only child? No, I have uh, three little
1: sisters, Mm.
0: and
1: it seems that my mother favored them over me for whatever reason. Uh, we were all very different, but I, I, I don't look like my mom. And my other little sisters had her eyes and her hair, and so I could even see just this physical, I don't know, like a gate keeping me from being a part of this dynamic. Um, and so when I, I, my mom had my little sisters, they were favored and spoiled, and um, I was ignored, and if I was sad, my mom would not talk to me about anything. She would send me to a professional to talk to them about it. Um, There was also a lot of abuse in my childhood. Um, I was molested for six years by my mom's ex-husband, who's now in jail, but he's also one of my sister's fathers, Um, so I had a hard time Just, I don't know, I guess just living in my own house. And once that abuse stopped, another abuse started. My mom um, hooked up with her boss and ended up marrying him. And he was physically abusive. Um, At one point, I had to go to the hospital because he broke my ankle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was was hard. Uh, My mom told me to tell the doctor that I fell. And so I did because I was afraid of repercussions. Um, and every day I would have to go to school, just so sad. Um, mm. And I would always have my hair in my face to purposely try to hide how I was feeling. Mm. And then I'd get picked on because it just seemed weird to other kids. So it was just a lot to deal with growing up.
0: What age were you when the abuse started?
1: Sexual abuse, it started at six.
0: And it um, went on for six years, you said?
1: Yes, yeah, back when I was 12.
0: And uh, did was anyone aware of what was going on?
1: I'm not sure. Um, there were a lot of signs. I told my mom uh, twice. I told her once that he would force me to watch porn with him. I, did, I was very young at the time, and it's just like, how could a child come up with such visual explanations of something? Um, I told her right in front of him, because I didn't want to go to his house for visitation, Even though he wasn't my father, she made all the kids go over there, and um, she didn't want to acknowledge it, and I told her another time, and she still didn't want to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Um, Social services was involved at one point. They saw marks on me, and they noticed I was very sad, I guess one of the teachers, and they said something, and um, I guess my mom fought really hard to cover it up.
0: Were your sisters abused, too, or just you?
1: Mainly me. Um, I told about the molestation as soon as I saw signs Mm. that he was planning on doing the same thing with my little sisters. And it was actually quite sad because I wouldn't speak up for myself, but I would speak up for somebody else. And I think that said a lot on how I thought about myself at that age, too, at 12. Mm.
0: Did you Were you able to talk to anybody else within those ages of 6 to 12 apart from your mother? Was anybody else willing to listen to you? Uh, my
1: grandmother was. I don't think I, I'm not sure why. I think I just figured that nobody believed me. Mm-hmm. I, I even saw a child therapist and I told him. And he told my mom, but he told her he didn't think it was real. He said he thought I was just saying it. Um, which, looking back on it, was extremely unprofessional.
0: Um, wow.
1: So it was just invalidating, invalidation no matter where I turned. It was mm. like, my feelings are wrong. I have to deal with it. There's no way out. Nobody cares. And I remember I would tell um, my friends about it. So I did tell my friends, but, you know, we were just kids. Nobody knew what to do.
0: hmm. So you went along for the first six years of the abuse with actually absolutely no support, even though you were seeing a professional in between that time. That's right. When you were seeing that the professional, were you there specifically because of that information that you provided or did your mother send you for other reasons?
1: She sent me because I was acting up immensely. I was always very angry. Um, when I was a child. Mm. You know, I went from just intense sadness to just being so angry. And I I remember not being able to look at my mother without feeling just complete hatred. I would throw Mm. things at her. I would key the car. I would punch holes in the wall. I would attack my stepfathers. And nobody understood why, even though I was telling them, you know, Mm. clear in the face why. I am so pissed off, yet... Mm. You know, I'm a child, so really, it's like what you got to look at the situation. There's a reason this child is acting up. There's a right. reason that this, you know, I, I started cutting myself at 10 years old. That's not normal. There's something clearly wrong. But, and I told them directly that the key to the puzzle, what we needed to do, and they just ignored it.
0: Oh, that's really sad. Um, were you able to talk to your teachers?
1: I was always afraid to. I remember I wanted to, and one time I did. Mm. Um, it was with the physical abuse that I told the teacher, because I was just burnt out um, going from being molested for six years. I mean, I used to actually, the rule when you visited the um, my stepfather that molested me, his house, he had a rule. His rule was that somebody had to sleep in his bed. And if it wasn't going to be me, it was going to be one of my little sisters. And I felt that I've endured enough pain, and I do not ever want my siblings to have to feel anything that I felt. So I would put myself in that situation where I would have to sleep in his bed. So um, I was just exhausted. I was exhausted with putting up with people's crap. And just so sad. I'd look at my friends, and I'd see that they'd have... You know, fairly functional family. They, they weren't being touched like that or hit. And, um, I, I told them, I said, I'm afraid to go home because every night I'm afraid that my stepdad's going to kill my mom. And when he would attack my mom, I would intervene and protect her. And I'm just a kid. You know, it's sad because my mom never protected me. Yet I, w- I jumped in front of her to take on this six foot tall man at a young age. And she just, she never defended me. And I was to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't try to blend in and even go to school and act like things were fine at home. I was exhausted.
0: What would happen at school? school? Were you acting out in school too? How was this impacting your education at this point?
1: Um, People noticed there was something different about me. Mm. As I got older, I... Would react to people quickly. I became extremely blunt um, and aggressive because I, I felt that at school I was, I felt I ended up feeling strong once I started showing people, like, hey, like, if you pick on me, I can fight back. Mm. And uh, people got threat, a little scared and they didn't understand why I would just react so so quickly like you could say something or you could tease each other but you could tease me and i would just just be on fire immediately and i would just want to hit something so um yeah people started seeing my behavior was was concerning
0: how did that impact your education
1: oh well it was always very difficult to make friends um I, I could go from loving someone, you know, and thinking they're just the coolest friend ever one moment to feeling absolutely betrayed. And um, I don't know, like my, my perception of them has just completely vanished one moment. And um, so it was very difficult. Um, I was always anxious and I always felt on edge, like there was always some sort of danger and I always had to be prepared to fight somebody when mm. I was out uh, at school. I ended up dropping out in high school because it got so bad. Um, I was just always afraid. It, it almost it started hitting me worse as I got older,
0: even when okay. certain situations were done. So your early experiences with relationships were one of you could have this great friend, but then something would happen that would annoy you and then you would just hate them. Right. Okay. And you would break off that relationship because you, what, couldn't communicate how I, you really felt about it? What was it going on there?
1: It. You know, looking back on it, I used to have a best friend, and we were friends
0: since middle school.
1: Um, but it was definitely very unstable, and at one point I had no friends because I just I felt like I took enough crap in my life. That like the drop of a pen, like something so small to somebody mm. would just infuriate me. Um, and so I would react strongly. Like somebody could do me wrong mm. and I would react stronger than the average person, way above. And then I would become so embarrassed after my reaction that it's like, oh, my God, I don't even know how to say sorry. Like, how do I even explain myself? Like, I'm going to mm. scare this person away just from explaining what's going on inside me.
0: Right, right. No, Alicia, just stay on the line. Um, We do need to take a short break. I'd like to come back and discuss that further. So I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Once again, here's Jacqueline James Friedman. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. My guest today is Alicia, and she will be talking about her diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And right now, we are discussing some of the symptoms that have affected her life in her early childhood years. Hi, Alicia. Hi. Hi there. Okay, so we were talking about um, how this disorder somewhat manifested itself earlier on, okay, and the kind of relationships or lack of relationships that you were having with others. Um, So when you got to about 14, 15, 16, you said that you dropped out of high school. What was the reason for that?
1: I felt that I could not control myself. Um, I was incredibly impulsive and... I mean people would approach me with like horrible ideas like you know, you wanna go get high under the bridge or something and I'd just be like immediately yes. I just wouldn't mm-hmm. even I it was almost like I I felt like I was just a body and somebody else was controlling it. But at the same time I never knew who I was. Um, I just knew that I wanted to feel something, um so I, I dropped out. I couldn't control myself. I was always afraid I'm and always angry at the same time. And I, I feel that like I was always angry because I, it was a mode of protecting myself from being hurt the way I was as a child. Right. Growing up, you know, it's like, okay, I'm never going to have that happen to me again. So I'm just going to be extremely angry and extremely um, aggressive when somebody threatens me. So I was always mm. on edge, and um, I would ditch school, and I would go uh, do drugs. Um, I smoked a lot of weed, and um, I tried Coke once. And at the time, I mean, I didn't really care. I had no sense of self-love or self-respect, and I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. And, you know, I took on the identity of those that I was around. Mm. So, I mean, I had... No idea. And if, and if I didn't hang out with those people, I'd just be devastated. Like, who am I? What do I even like? I like what they like. I, I like wearing the stuff that they wear. Um, just because I have no idea who I am. Um, so I was just always confused and angry, always scared. I could not focus because my reactions started to become even, even more intense. And I noticed that when I would feel things emotionally, starting at 15, I could physically feel them to the point where it just became unbearable. If I was angry, it felt like I needed to scratch all of my skin off. Like I needed to get out of this
0: body. Wow. So that was your way of what? Reducing some of that anxiety, that feeling, those fears by self-mutilating that was releasing some of that pressure?
1: Yes. I noticed okay. that, um I cut myself, and when I would cut myself, it would stop the physical pain of the emotions.
0: Mm. How long were you doing this for?
1: See, um, I started cutting when I was 10, and I did cut this year after a year of not cutting. Uh, It's been a very tough year. Um, So for, I guess, 11
0: years, And I would presume that they were not superficial cuts after a while.
1: That's right. I had to get stitches at um, some point.
0: Mm, Okay. You're not cutting now, though? No, no. Okay. All right. Um, What about the drug use? Was that a form of masking some of that pain also?
1: Yes, definitely. I, um, I realized that I would change substances depending on what I wanted to feel. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in time where I stopped being so angry, but I became just so depressed. And I I feel just like I was slowly mourning my childhood, and it was hitting me later and later emotionally. Mm -hmm. Almost like post-traumatic stress for your emotions. Um, And I took up crystal meth because I was so depressed. And I remember the first time I tried it being like, oh, my God, this is what happiness must feel like. And um, it got bad. It ended up tearing me down really bad. I started uh, hallucinating um, and um, stealing stuff, selling my own belongings to afford it. And at some point, I just realized I can't keep doing this. I can't keep having to reach out for happiness. People keep saying to me that it's I need to find it within myself, and nobody will love me until I find it within myself. So I guess I have to figure that out.
0: So at what point did you hit rock bottom? Because it sounds like there were so many things going on, Alicia, obviously, uh, cutting, drug usage. I mean, at what point did you hit that point where there was nowhere to go?
1: I was, I believe, 19, and it was the worst that I feel um, the borderline ever was. I, um, I would actually bash my head against the wall. Um, I sometimes, I actually most of the time, I felt like reality wasn't even real. Um, I didn't. I sometimes I couldn't believe that I was a person. I would immediately scare people away and snap, and I would push them in, away and then pull them back in. I lost every single one of my friends. I was home alone uh, with an abusive family member, my grandmother, who's was abusive. Mm. And just miserable. I was in my room, and um, I remember that things did not make sense. I felt like reality just wasn't real. I was so angry all the time. I would throw things and hurt myself, burn myself with cigarettes. Um, And I remember thinking, like, I'm losing my mind. I remember saying that. I went to therapy one day, and I remember screaming, just screaming at the therapist. I was saying, like, why can't you help me? Mm. I've been seeing you for a year, and you keep telling me just to tell myself positive affirmations.
0: Mm. I'm losing
1: my mind. I feel like I'm not even in my body. And I feel like I'm surrounded in fire.
0: How old so, were you at this point?
1: I was 19 years old.
0: It became, and you're now how old?
1: I am now 21.
0: So this wasn't that long ago.
1: No, it was not. It, no, it's amazing. I was not able... I could not go out in public. I would, I would tell people, don't bring me in public, not just for like my safety, but for other people's safety. I don't trust myself. If someone looked at me the wrong way, I might say something, and I just can't do it. I would stay inside to protect myself and what felt like the world.
0: So a very lonely existence while you're trying to figure out what's going on with yourself.
1: Right. I had no idea. I, You know, because I was diagnosed with a depression, major depression at the time, which made no sense. Um mm. but they couldn't figure it out and um, finally, somebody was educated on the, on what was going on and they looked at my history and my relationships and friendships and my symptoms and my cutting and they said you have borderline personality disorder.
0: At and what I, age were you then?
1: I was uh, 19. that was okay after. Mm. Um, and putting a name to it really helped. Because it's like, oh, my God, you know, there is something. There is something. Like, it's, it's not nothing because I'm being told it's nothing. Everywhere I turn, people are just like, oh, you'll be fine. Like, And I'm just like, you have no idea. Um, so I started looking things up hmm. and realizing, oh, my God, there are other people like me. Hmm. And um, just obsessing over it because I didn't know how to get through it. I just knew what I had and at least reminding myself there, there is a legit reason that this is happening to you. Yeah, I mean, you may not know how to get through it, but you know that you're not as crazy as you think you are.
0: Mm, sure. Um, throughout all those years, were there any hospitalizations or suicidal attempts?
1: Um, yes, there were two suicidal attempts. I um, overdosed on some painkillers uh, twice and went to the hospital i had to drink charcoal and they put me on a 5150 i've been 5150 at least six times um nobody could figure out what was going on with me um but yeah it there was always a crisis i felt like my life was always a crisis oh
0: that's tough that's a really tough one but but you just said that at some point you got this diagnosis and that was a revelation whereby you were able to now figure out exactly why you were behaving the way you were behaving and then to seek some treatment, correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. Um, You said something about the hospitalizations. That's quite a lot of hospitalizations. At what point was this going on?
1: Um, It started at 12, ironically when i was being molested um, okay and my last hospitalization was i was nine no i wasn't 19 i was um 16 eventually i was just like they can't do anything the only thing they do is they make sure you don't hurt yourself mm. and i mean they, they would tell me things i already knew you know going in and out um I felt that some of that didn't apply to me because the people that were there were there for completely different reasons. Mm. Um, you know, it was a a matter of, you know, what medication can help adjust this. And, but with me, no medicine could really, I could help it at the time. I, um, felt hopeless. So I stopped, I stopped, I started being careful so I wouldn't be, um, admitted. And I, I wanted to do a successful suicide, um, but just decided after that I don't want to live like this anymore and I want to see for myself how much better I can get. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm not going to um, base my hope on somebody else's recovery level. I want to see for myself because I want to be able to be happy.
0: Good for you, Alicia. You know, we're going to take a short break right now and we're going to come back and talk about your recovery I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. You're on the path to a better future on TalkZone. Here's Jacqueline James Friedman. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. My guest today is Alicia, and we are currently talking about the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, and and, uh, we're going to talk about the recovery, Alicia, okay, how you learned to cope with some of those symptoms.
1: Definitely.
0: Where would you like to start? Once you receive that diagnosis, let's go from there.
1: Okay. Um well once i received that i uh, started looking at the best the best ways to treat and manage it cuz there has to be some way i just i was so hopeful like okay we got a name now we just got to figure it out cuz they're they're researching it mm-hmm. and um, then there i found something called dialectical behavior therapy which is like cognitive therapy but they also do like social skills training and they teach you they give you the skills that I did not have growing up. Mm -hmm. I was not taught by my parents. Um, Something that was appropriate for where I was now and Mm -hmm. my age. And um, I did a program, um, which in the beginning I was still very angry and I had a difficult time staying in my seat. I I remember I would walk out um, in art therapy, an art therapist said something like, oh, you're using only red and black. You must feel a lot of anger. And I just... Took a lot of offense to that at the time, and and felt mm. it was critical. And that's being borderline is um, most people with it were, were hypersensitive. So,
0: mm. um,
1: being used to being criticized all the time, I you know you jump to conclusions. And um, I walked out, but I came. I kept coming back. I, I I remember telling myself, do the opposite of what you usually do because it's obviously not working for you. Mm. Um, so I would start to, uh, practice skills like opposite action, which is a DBT skill, which is where you do the opposite of what you feel. And it is incredibly uncomfortable in the beginning, but you actually get... Can
0: you give us an example of that?
1: Sure. Uh, Mm Um, for example, I live with my, um, grandmother who likes to criticize me and is, um, Very rude. I think I actually think that she has borderline, Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I would be stuck in in a car with her, and she would be, um, I don't know. She I would say something I'm proud of, and she would just be like, "Oh, that's boring," and I would just be so angry on the inside and just want to be like, "You are a jerk. I have to listen to you all day, and the stuff that you care about that I don't care about because I can't relate to you. You're my Mm -hmm. grandmother, like." But I didn't. I would. I remember acknowledging, I would talk to myself in my head and be like, okay, I am noticing that this is what I am feeling, this is why I am feeling it, and I don't have to act on my emotions. And they taught me that you are separate from your emotions. You can feel something, and it's okay to feel something, but what matters is how you react to it. Mm. And I started really focusing on educating myself on that so I could repeat it in my head. So eventually my emotions would understand, okay, you don't have to act on it, you can feel it, but don't. And so I would do an opposite action, like say, oh, um, well, why don't you tell me something that you're interested in? And in the beginning, it would be, it would almost be physically painful, because, um, you know, I could feel my emotions. And, but eventually it got easier and easier, and I started feeling confident in myself, like, hey, you didn't do anything wrong, so you don't have to worry. You know, just go along with it. You know the truth, and that's what matters. Like, you know how you feel, and that's what matters.
0: And so that sounds like a, a form of uh, working on self-control, right? Because you had all these impulsive behaviors yeah. that that you were um, experiencing throughout all the years, and now you were learning to control those emotions.
1: Yes, this is true. I I bought actually several books on um, borderline personality disorder and mindfulness and um, how to train your brain to not react so quickly and Mm. to be more open to changing behaviors because I have problem with change. Um, So what I would do, it was small things. I started with small things. The book suggested, like, when you cross your leg, use the leg that you you don't put on top and put it on top of your leg. And start to do that until you change that behavioral habit. Because mm. most emotional reactions are a behavioral habit. Um, right. so I had to, you know, I felt, okay, if I wanna do this just to prove to myself I can I can do this. I can change my emotional reaction. And I would continuously practice that and then I'd move on to a next one. And the therapist in the group started noticing I was changing as I was practicing this I was becoming more willing to hear feedback on perhaps what I did wrong because sometimes I would walk in very angry like oh I talked to this person and they pissed me off and they'd be like well why Mm -hmm. and um I tell them and they'd be like okay but you shouldn't have acted like that and um eventually it was to the point where I would be willing to accept what they had to say because I feel like part of me inside just gave up like look, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to put my face in you and you tell me what I can do right.
0: Was this t- form of treatment initiated once you were given the diagnosis?
1: No, it was highly recommended. Um, I I went all over looking for DBT. Um, it was either in Brentwood mm-hmm. or um, San Francisco and... Um, San Francisco is very far, and I would have to take a cab to get there. So it's it's not very common. They're still um, researching, and they're still instructing, um, you know, psychologists and therapists to be mm. able to do that. So it's it's hard to find. Um, but I was very happy that I found found it because it was a group therapy, and so you actually get to practice interacting with people as well.
0: Okay. How long was the treatment for?
1: It was three months long. Um, I have never done so much work. I, You know, going in and out of being 5150 and being in therapy since I was a child, I have to say that I, I feel that I learned more in that mm. program than I did anywhere else before um, because it was exactly what I needed um it was exactly what I needed I you know I learned how to talk to people. Um, mm. I learned how to phrase things so they' uh, they're more delicate when I say them because I can be very blunt and automatically speak my mind like oh I don't like that therefore I don't like you. Mm. <laughs> so you know um, I learned how to talk to people and slowly I started transforming um, but I also you know I remember talking to the the counselors about my my identity, about how I had no idea who I was, what I like to do. I like to do whatever the people around me like to do.
0: Mm, um, okay.
1: And, yeah.
0: No self-identity.
1: Definitely no self-identity. So that was not something that we could change there. That was something that I could use my skills and see who I am when my disorder is not in control. Mm. Let's see who I am now that I can control myself. Let's see what I want to do. You know, uh, not my impulses, because I could not tell the difference between an impulse or what I really wanted to do. And I started to recognize that uh, with my skills, and I started to try new things, and not... Because I used to have this problem where I would not try things uh, because I was... I have a fear of rejection, and I have a fear of not being good enough. So... I give up before I even try if I think I can't do it.
0: What about uh, abandonment I I just... issues with with borderline personality disorders? There, oh. there tends to be uh, this issue of abandonment. Is it does that is that something that you also have experienced?
1: Oh, it's definitely, extremely. I feel that that's kind of been a reoccurring theme in my life. It's it's a self fulfilling prophecy because mm. you know. Um, I would always just be like, are you mad at me? Like, are you going to leave? Like, are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? What can I do? Why don't you ever do this? Like, don't leave me. Go away. Wait. Come back. And, um, I am having people abandon me, abandoning me because I'm so afraid of being abandoned.
0: Being abandoned. Right. Right.
1: Right. So, um, yes, most definitely. I remember when my. Sometimes when my grandmother or a friend would drop me off for an errand, I would have feelings they would never come back. I would always have to have a plan in case they didn't come back. Um, when I have a friendship or a new relationship that, that started, I would just be like, let's see how this lasts. And I would even warn them. I'd just be like, look, we're probably not going to know each other long. I have to get something out of the way. You need to know something about me because this this isn't going to be a cakewalk. Um mm. And, have uh, you
0: have you had a relationship, an, an intimate relationship with anyone?
1: I have. Um, before DBT, it obviously was not very good. I um, I would. I've never had a long term relationship, um, and before DBT, they were extremely short, like only a few weeks, because the person would get so afraid of the symptoms. And um, how intense I'd feel because I would go from, you know, like oh my god, just please don't leave me, and mm. they're just like, well, we barely know each other, and I'm just like, look, I'm not used to having a person care about me. Like, I I'm not used to that. I don't ever want it to go away. Don't go. Mm. And um, but that would push them away, and then I would also become very critical and angry and just dump them immediately. If at the at the very first. that I didn't like about somebody, I would leave. Mm. Um, But then I would feel abandoned because they would not take me back because, you know, eventually I would have guilt, like, oh, my God, what did I do? No. Um, And after DBT, it's calmed down, definitely. Um, It's still, I can still feel insecurities, but I'm able to word them now in a way that is appropriate. Um, I'm able to fact check myself, um, which is something I've learned in DBT, which is you look at the situation and you, you explain it in your head without judgment. So if somebody was looking at me, people with BPD, we require less stimuli to recognize emotion. So if someone mm. has a frown before DBT, I'd be like, oh, my God, it's me. Like, what did I do? Like, they hate me. But mm. after DBT, it would just be like, this person has a frown. That's all I know. I don't know what they're thinking. They could have had something happen in their day. Their reaction to me as a reflection of their perception of their life, it has nothing to do with me.
0: Um, so since, since receiving the dialectical behavioral therapy DBT, as you said, um, have you been able to, to experience having a relationship that's more than a few weeks?
1: Um, let's see. Yes, I have. I have, actually. I I am able to have, um, this is the closest to normal I have ever Mm. been. Um, I'm still very sensitive, um, but it is not as bad as it used to be, where I was banging my head against the wall and screaming and crying just because I I would feel something and just start screaming. Um, Whereas today, I am able to say, hey, let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I still do slip. It's not, you know, like magic. Um, sometimes I, I have this thing where sometimes if somebody says something I really don't like, I will hang up and, um, it's a reaction. It's one of those, you know, behavioral habit traits that I need to get out of. So I need to be more mindful. Um, but the last relationship I was in was more than a few weeks. It was actually a couple months. The reason it ended actually and I can. I was so actually proud to say that it was not because of me, um, which made me feel good because I was able to be a good partner. It just so happened the other person wasn't, ironically, as healthy as, as I was at the time. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but so you're so I you're
0: think, getting there. You're getting there.
1: Yeah, I am. Yeah, it's really nice.
0: Good. Stay on the break. I need to speak to you a little bit more about DBT dialectical behavioral therapy i'm jacqueline james friedman and this is the path to a better future on talkzone.com we'll be back with more right after this let's return to jacqueline james friedman for more of the path to a better future on talkzone.com Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. My guest today is Alicia. We are talking about dialectical behavioral therapy just before the break. Alicia. Hi. Hi. Would you say that DBT is the key?
1: I would. I definitely would. Um, I would say, you know, you don't have to be in DBT all your life. Mm -hmm. I think that, Until it clicks. Sometimes, you know, some people need a couple, a couple times to remember um, what was taught. But from what I've learned, um, it offered me things I did not find elsewhere for Mm. my diagnosis, Um, and it also informed me about myself. And for you know, after DBT, I went back to cognitive, you know, therapy um, Mm. because it really doesn't matter what your follow-up therapy is um it's dbt you just take those skills and then you bring them to your therapy and you say hey this is what i need to work on
0: so are you involved in any other form of therapy like group therapy or individual therapy at this stage
1: i am in individual therapy um i definitely know that it i cannot go without individual therapy um it helps me immensely um and i'm on top of my recovery now i'm actually on medication now that has been helping and I I have to be responsible for my mental health because I don't ever want to be like that
0: again. What medications are you on right now? I'm on
1: lithium. It's a mood stabilizer and, you know, I was amazed that it took away a lot of the physical pain from feeling emotion, Um, the intensity of it. It helps with my impulse control it helps with my racing thoughts. Um, it's definitely like a safety net for me, and I'm on um, an antidepressant uh, just because you know, I'm as somebody who's hypersensitive. I can get depressed very easily from small things to other people.
0: Okay, is this a lifelong disorder that you're going to have to deal with? You know, it's. That's
1: a very good question because a lot of people feel like it's death sentence or it is. um, But no, it's not. It's not something I feel that I will have to deal with for the rest of my life. And I don't think it's anything that um, I don't think everybody's going to have it for the rest of their life. I feel that you have to learn the tools and you have to train your brain to start working in a different way. And it's possible. Mm -hmm. And I did not believe it. Because I've been told by a couple psychiatrists, this is how you're going to be forever. I don't want to give you this diagnosis because it's hopeless. And I've been turned down by professionals because of it. But at the same really? time, yes, I, have, um, I had a psychiatrist um, a couple months ago turn me down because of my diagnosis and say, not even ask me where I am now, you know, how my recovery is, just that I need 24-hour care. Automatically, because it scared him so much that diagnosis. Um, and wow. I feel, that that's because the more that you hear about borderline, it's all you don't hear about recovery that often, because it is extremely hard to get out of. Um, it's like a different dimension you're living in. Nothing makes sense when you're really when it's really heavy. Mm. But when you break through that, it is possible. If you keep trying, it is possible. Um, it's just very very hard and uncomfortable in the beginning but I believe that you can grow out it out of it and statistics actually show that um, once people with a borderline personality reach their 30s um, they either start to learn to adapt to society with it and learn how to cope on their own or they actually grow out of it which is really amazing.
0: That is. And, you know, I think you're absolutely correct in the beginning where you said that a lot of uh, professionals don't particularly like to work with borderline personality disorders just because there is so much to it. There's so much to that personality that they don't understand um, and, and probably don't know how to treat. So that's really good that you've got that message out there. It's also really good that you've taken a positive look at your own recovery and how important it is to to pretty much look forward to your future, right? Because if you don't, then what have you got? If you have no future, right. then um, what is the point? So I'm really happy that you're at this stage. And that actually ties in quite nicely with um, walking the path to a better future. What is the message that you personally want to give out there, Alicia? I want
1: people to know that nothing is impossible. That just because something is misunderstood does not mean that you are wrong. It does not mean that it's not, you know, it's not there. It it could happen. Um, Never, you know, like, there will be professionals out there who will judge you, but only you know where you are. Um, Don't stop fighting. It's not a death sentence. It's not impossible. You have to work harder than you ever had in your life and something and I'll, I'll leave with this something that helps me w- understand things and finally accept my past and my childhood was putting mm. meaning to your suffering. You have acceptance will end suffering. People suffer when they don't accept reality as it is. It's always reality as it should be. So, to Correct. be mindful of that. right, And um, put meaning to the suffering. You know, um, say it's you will grow from this. Maybe you'll help somebody, somebody like you who needs to hear your experience. That's what gets me going.
0: Beautiful. Um, How important is it to have the right professional treating you with this disorder?
1: Incredibly important um, because with BPD, you need to be validated and you also need somebody with a steady head on their shoulders and not a biased view of society because we learn from other people how we're supposed to behave and act and what's appropriate. Um,
0: mm. You
1: have to feel comfortable because you you have to be honest. You can't get help unless you feel comfortable enough to be honest. Correct. Um, so it's definitely vital that it, there's a good relationship there.
0: And what about, because the, the, the DBT is short term, I mean in the sense that it's three months for example and you might have to go back for maintenance, is that right? You could do that? Right. Whereas right. individual therapy is pretty much more ongoing. So what's the importance of that for you?
1: That's very important because D B T is where I learned my skills. Individual therapy is where I can talk about how how I have applied it or how I could have applied it in my daily life. Um, mm. where situations may arise, you know. Once you're done with D B T you're not done. You need somebody to talk to about the skills you learn to make sure you're using them and mm-hmm. they are not ways that you could
0: have used them that you didn't how do you know if you've got the right person though bearing in mind you've had a lot of varied varied responses from professionals over the years how do you know when it's right this is important for someone that's going through this who's hypersensitive impulsive loves to hate hates to love all of those components um, can actually just throw off uh, a therapist working on this individual correct
1: Right, it could. Um, How to find, to make sure that it's the right person. I would say, um, in the beginning, I think anybody with borderline is going to be afraid to say what they're thinking and how they're feeling because of how intense it is and how Mm. we are just kind of shunned and looked at weird for feeling so intensely. But after, you know, you recognize that that's a normal fear, get to know the professional. Focus on how they respond to what you say. Do they seem genuinely sympathetic? Do they seem like they have passion in what they're doing because if you have BPD you need to see somebody who loves what they are doing because it's it's tough and this person's going to help walk you know walk with you through this journey so you can get on a path to a better future but make sure that they have the heart for it that's what matters
0: and I think that's a great message I think the message is one to be able to find that right treatment, and then secondly, for the professional to understand what's required here in order to treat the individual. So I think those are very two clear messages that you've uh, relayed here, and I hope that anyone listening into the show um, will will have been educated here, right?
1: Yeah, I really hope so.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I really, really thank you, Alicia, uh, for sharing this story. It's very important. I know it's this disorder um, for many, many, many years in the scene. I've known many therapists that have been quite scared to treat people who have this disorder because of the intensity. Um, right. And and it's very tricky. It's very difficult. So I'm very happy that you have someone that you can talk to. I'm very happy that you are able to find that DBT, the Dialectical Behavioral Therapy Treatment. There isn't an awful lot of uh, professionals uh, providing that program here in California. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Um, so for those listening in, again, maybe this could be an area of um, further education for therapists out there and professionals. So once again, we've been speaking with Alicia from California. I thank you very, very much, Alicia. I'm very honored. Thank you for joining us today. That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Thank you for listening to Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com.